We started a, a, a new series last week called Get Your Fill. Man, it's just awesome because as we were going in this, what we're doing is we're going through um, the book of Philippians. I try to do this once, if not twice a year, take one of the books of the Bible and we kind of go chapter by chapter through it. And man, I love this book. It's one of my favorite books uh, in this book. Um, really, you know, Paul was really emphasizing two main things. One is the joy of the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ and really how they connect with one another. And last week we went into more, you know, details. If you, ha- if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, you can go back um, and listen to that online. Um, but uh, today we're at chapter two. And last week we talked about there's joy in the gospel. And really Paul, um, to get us into context, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He's in a jail cell in Rome and writing to this church that he loves. And he has a, sp- a specific uh, affection towards this church. And we'll get into that as we f- get further into, the, into this book or this letter that he wrote to them. But, you know, out of all the churches that Paul helped establish and, and went to, um, this is the only church that really uh, participated in the gospel with him in a sense of helping, you know, him and, and meeting some needs, sending people to him to take care of him while he was in prison, as well as sending some finances on his journeys and so forth. So he had a particular um, really uh, a connection with them, and he wasn't seeking them, um, you know, any, any finances from them in that way, but it was just their love. As their hearts were opened up from the gospel, God came into their lives, and they just had a, had a, a connection with Paul himself to be able to fund what God was doing in his life. So just that joy that's in the gospel. Today, I want to talk about uh, really keeping joy. And, you know, this morning, I'll just share briefly, um, when I was praying this morning, I just felt like I saw in, in prayer as I was just kind of getting myself ready, I almost saw like almost if it was like, a, you know, a body laying almost like it was on top of the ground, but it was covered by soil. And, you know, I, I believe that the body kind of represented the church or us as believers and just things, things of the world just cover, cover you over. The things of this world just come upon you, settle on you, to get to the place where it almost feels like we're buried, but we're not buried. But I saw this, this body begin to rise up and to shake off all these things that are just crying to hinder. And I really believe that what, what's going on is that God is rising up within us, that He's bringing forth that joy of the Lord that is unspeakable and full of glory. The Bible says the joy of the Lord, it is our strength. How much do we need the joy of the Lord in our lives as believers, especially in the time that we're living in right now? We need the joy of the Lord, and joy is not happiness. Happiness is determined by situations that you go through. Joy is not determined by what you go through. Joy is a supernatural uh, ability and fruit of the Spirit of God that no matter what you're going through, just like we learned last week, Paul was in prison. He was in prison, but yet he had the joy of the Lord, and he was telling, he's telling his disciples at Philippi, even though I'm in prison for the gospel, it has not hindered the gospel. God is still using everything that I'm going through. So we, we don't have to you know, look at a situation and think because we're going through something that there's a lack of joy in that moment. There is a, an abundance of joy that we can tap into because what we're doing is tapping into the abundant strength of Jesus Christ himself. Are you with me? 
So we get that joy. Now we want to be able to keep that joy. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. I'm going to take some of these out of the, the Passion Translation. I just love the way that it brings this out. But there's a couple things I want you to know today. The first thing as we look at verse number one is, is Paul's trying to remind the people there of what they already have. Sometimes we, just to be, we need to be reminded of what we have. It, it, I mean, come on. I mean, sometimes we already know we got something, but we're not walking in it, so in a sense, we forgot. I mean, you know, we, you, your mind gets, you know, so many different things, or if we use that kind of the, the dirt or the settlement, try to get on you, and, and, and you're just, you're, your mind is somewhere else, and there's someone's like, well, I'm looking for this. I can't find it. Well, you already have it. Well, I don't know. It's right there. That's right. I forgot. We need that reminder. You know, Silas is in a stage right now, our little swan, that he just knows everything. He's actually so smart, he knows everything that I, I don't know if there's anything more I can teach him. <laughs> He's I know, I know, I know. Everything's I know, I know. But, you know, sometimes we think we know, but we don't know. And Paul wants to remind us here about this joy that we already have. And we need to be reminded that we have the joy of the Lord. It came innately inside of you when you got Jesus Christ, you, you, you just you know, surrendered your life to him, asked him to come into your life, the joy of the Lord came with the spirit of the Lord coming inside of you. Can you say amen? So here we are, Philippians chapter two, verse number one. Look what Paul says. He, he wants them to know what you have. Really what he's saying is, let me remind you of what you've been given through your connection with Christ. He says this, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointing with Jesus. Look, just pay attention to how much encouragement you have in your relationship with Jesus. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. <laughs> We're getting reminded here. You have experienced a deepening relationship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection in his mercy. These are things that we already have in him. Look at it. We, we, we have to, he, he's trying to draw us back to it. See, circumstances and situations will try to take us away from what we already have. It tries to distract us of what we've already been given, almost as if, you know, you have to do something else to get the joy that you really want to have to be satisfied, but we already have it. We just need to be reminded of it. There's encouragement in our relationship with the Lord. You're filled to overflowing. You've heard me say this how many times over and over again. God just don't want us to be filled. He wants us to overflow. He is a God of more than enough. Yeah, he wants you full. That helps you. But he wants you overflowing because when you're overflowing, you're filled and you're also giving access to other people around about you. And there are many people around about us every single day that don't need us filled. They need us overflowing. They want the access of the abundance of God coming out of our lives, not just walking around as a container, I got God, I got God, I got God, but walking around saying, I know that the Lord is on the inside of me, and I have more than enough to share with you. Amen. That's how good he is. Amen? Overflowing with his comforting love, you have experienced that deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit. How many experience uh, just have had experiences with the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand. You've had experiences with the Holy Spirit. 
it's awesome, you know, whenever we have experiences with the Lord, how he brings us back because that experience may be how he reveals himself to us or how he comforts us. There's endless ways that the Holy Spirit can comfort us and that's what he, God said, Jesus said that what the Holy Spirit was gonna do, one of the things he was gonna do was to comfort us. He's coming, the comforter. And it's amazing how he can pull an experience that you had with him years ago and still use that again and remind you of his comforting love and his closeness to you. And it's just as fresh as it was, however many years ago that may have been or how many weeks ago, he brings it back just in his comfort and that uh, fellowship with him. So he's reminding the church at Philippi what you have. Then he goes to a place um, where he begins to tell them, here's what your aim should be. This is what our aim should be in life. And this is from Philippians, uh, verse number two, we'll go through 11, but he says, I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love, walking together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. You know, in this, um, in this letter that Paul writes, over 18 times he talks about the joy and, and rejoicing. And his main theme through this whole uh, letter is the gospel, is that joy in the gospel. And he, he speaks about the gospel in this letter more than any other letter that he has written, that Paul's written. At first, I was like, that can't be, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking like, well, what about Romans? I mean, you know, he's talking more about the law and grace in there. But he's talking about the gospel. And here's Paul saying, here's, here's, what, you, here's what you have. Now, this is what your aim should be. I, I want you to join together in perfect unity. God wants perfect unity. Here's what perfect unity is. It's being of one heart, one passion, one love, and one purpose. You can think of it this way. It's dealing with our thoughts. To have one heart is really our thoughts are lining up on the same thing. Our, our passions is really our pursuits. We're pursuing the same thing. Our love, really our affections are towards the same things. And then our, our mission, our purpose is the same thing. And it's not our own thing, it's his thing. Because he's the one that brings us together in unity. And, and Kathy brought it up when she was sharing, but you know, in Psalms 133, it says, Be good, how, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And he gives two likenesses. He says this, he goes, it's like the precious oil on the head going upon the head of Aaron, the high priest, and it begins to flow down over his beard, dripping down his beard, over his garments, the whole way down to the edge of his garments, and then really touching the earth. There's that symbolism of being in unity in Christ that the anointed one is pouring out upon his body, and it's flowing down from the head, Christ being the head, over his body to the place where we're all just flowed and saturated with his anointing and that unity and that closeness together. It's going down his body until it drips off of us and touches the earth, and the earth is affected by it. And he gives another likeness kind of the same way. He says, it's like the dew of Hermon flowing down from the mountains, the mountain of Zion. The idea is it starts one place until everything is touched and affected by it. And that's Jesus. 
and we come into unity, there's a greater anointing that God has for us. That anointing is really God's, God's ability, God's enablement in us, God's nature coming through us that he wants to pour out upon his people and, and flow through his people so that those that don't know him can see him through his people. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So he says, here's what our aim should be. He goes on in verse number three. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. And I believe that God is working on his church. Uh, we've seen some things kind of stir up. You know, during COVID, there were, there were plenty of pride-filled opinions <laughs> that were going around. Maybe some people are still holding to a prideful opinion. And what happens is when we have those prideful opinions, we're not being of one heart, one mind, one motive, one purpose. We're really wanting to have our own heart, our mind, or our purpose heard and completed. But we're not interested in doing what we want to do. We want to do, and there's a necessity in the Spirit of God to do what God has called us to do in the earth. But to, he says to be free from prideful opinions, for this will harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. You see, some people will take this and it's like, maybe you've heard the saying, I kind of like that, the best one out of it. It's like, you know, it's not, you know, when you're thinking of others, you're not thinking um, less of yourself and thinking more of others, you're thinking of yourself less compared to thinking of others. You don't look down on yourself, right? God, he, he's, he's trying to get us elevated. He wants us to be confident in Him. If we're beating ourselves up, how can we be confident in what God has for us to do? But He does want us to love on one another. We got to have that place of humility. And He goes on to say, consider the example of Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us, let his mindset become your motivation. I like that. One translation will say, you know, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ. And it depends on how you grew up about hearing the word attitude. Maybe you always heard growing up, like, don't have an attitude. You know, and you're just like, so you think you got this connotation towards attitude. This is kind of, well, I don't have an attitude. I like the mindset. You know, have this let his mindset, that the mindset of Christ become your motivation. It's really set your mind on these things. It's, it's that really that you're, you're, you're choosing to, to make a conscious decision or, or being uh, really intentional about having the right mindset. And this is what he talks about Jesus. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant to become human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable. I believe, you know, we go to those places and some people may have a harder time with emptying, the, emptying themselves. It depends how much of yourself you're trying to promote. But the three things that we see here that what Jesus did in his mindset is that he emptied himself, he humbled himself, and he made himself vulnerable. Made himself vulnerable. That's, that shows a level of trust uh, in, in the one whom you're, you're really serving. It's, it's, 
it's, it's God's mission. You know, this is what Paul's saying. He, when he says, this is what your aim should be, he's saying, let me help you focus and stay focused on your God-given mission. Jesus started the mission. We're here to help. I mean, he completed his part of it, but we're here to continue on with what he put in motion. Are you with me this morning? He made himself vulnerable. I mean, what an awesome God that we serve that when it came time for him to die on the cross and he stood before Pilate and he knows when that night when they came and they took him away, he said a very few words and then he kept his peace and didn't answer anything else. The Bible said he was like a sheep you know, heading to, to the slaughter. He was, he was like a sheep before the shears. He, he was quiet. He was quiet in peace and security and vulnerable to the one. I trust you, Heavenly Father, that no matter what happens to me, and I have an idea because the Scripture says of what's going to happen to me, the best thing I can do in my love and affection to you is to keep myself quiet and allow your plans and your purposes to be fulfilled in my life. And he kept quiet. Because we know we've been there whenever we should have stayed quiet in a moment and we weren't quiet. We did some kind of self-promotion. It ended up hurting us or it hurt somebody else and ultimately it hurt the heart of our Father. Amen? So he humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of, because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name. In the heavenly realm in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God the Father. Now, there's people today that aren't, you know, bowing down to Him, but whenever He comes in His fullness and gets his bride, and he comes back, and he takes over this earth, everyone, no matter how they feel about it, that's the, the power of his name. We just finished that series on no other name. The power of his name, people will have to bow before him and say, you, you are God. You are Lord. So this is our aim, to... to to really, you know, have that same attitude in Christ, that mindset, uh, to empty ourselves, to humble ourselves, to be vulnerable before the Lord. It, sometimes it, it's hard. Sometimes it's, we get to that place and we're just like, God's asking us to do something and that vulnerability really is just an act of trust. We get to that place where we're just really allowing ourselves to be really open to Him. And I, and I know, I believe every single person here is open to the Lord, but He, in His presence, He takes us to those places like, I want to take you a little bit deeper. I'm asking for a little bit more vulnerability before me so that I can really reveal even more of who I am. You've opened your heart. Now let's go deeper because I'm in, but there's deeper things that I want to reveal to you. Then Paul goes on, in verse number 12 and 13, he says, uh, this is what I want you to be 
This is what you're responsible for. This is what you have. This is what your aim should be. And then there's a responsibility have. These are what you, what you yourself as a believer in Christ are responsible for. What he's, what he's really saying is you have a stewardship that you must take ownership of. There's a stewardship that you alone have to take ownership of. And I love this in these two verses. He says, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, all the work that God is doing on the inside of you is so that you will work and will, so that you'll take action in what he wants you to do, and you'll have the desire. He don't want robots. He de- he's not just commanding you to do it. He wants your heart involved in it. There's actions involved, but you know what? You can, you can do things for the Lord and still not give him your heart or you know, be connected to him in that way and still miss it. He wants our actions, but he wants more than just our actions. He wants our heart connection. He wants our wills, our mind, our will, and our emotion, our affections to willingly submit to him. And he says, this is your responsibility. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul was talking to the church at Philippi, and he's saying, hey, I I saw you do these things whenever I was with you. But I'm not there to see all that you're doing right now, so I want you to do just as if I'm there, but now more in my absence, do the same things, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the Apostle Paul. How much more with Jesus, whether we feel his presence in a moment or don't feel his presence in a moment, whether we feel close to him or we feel far, far away, we're still working out our salvation before him. And he says, here's how you work out your salvation. You do it in fear and you do it with trembling. Now, fear is a, it's, it's a, it's a big word because it's just not, there, there's a part in Scripture where there is a dread of God. You know, it's, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if you don't know Him. But as sons and daughters of God, we should have more of that fear where there's, that, there's a reverence that's connected to it. There is a, it's like there's a terror that's connected to the word fear too, but it's real more of a terror in a sense of what it would be like now to be without him. It's not a fear of him because of my sin. He's taking care of my sin. Has he taken care of you? If he's taking care of your sin, it's no longer fear of my sin. It's more of the reverence and the terror of I never want to go back to the life that I live. I don't want to be that person that I was. I want to continue to be with you. That's why David could commit murder and he could commit adultery. And then, but yet he cries out when he recognizes sin, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I fear to be without you. David saw what it was like for the anointed king, Saul, to be without the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God was upon Saul in that position that he had. And when he disobeyed, the Spirit of God lifted off of him. And David saw what it did to the man. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. There's that fear, it's that reverence. 
And then the word trembling, you know, I just kind of saw this for the first time, you know, uh, looking it up a little bit more. Trembling is not necessarily that you're in fear and then you're kind of like, you know, trembling because you're in fear. It's different. Work out your, your own salvation with fear. That's that reverence and that honor, respect towards the Lord and in trembling. There, there, there's some things that can kind of seem the same, but trembling is different. Trembling is a fear that you feel, but at the, at the same time, regardless of what you feel, trembling, you're going to pursue and be obedient and do something that really you can't even do in your own ability, but you do it anyhow, trembling. I'm afraid. I'll be honest with you, you know, we're, we're you know, working on a remodel thing that we were doing, and, and we had this, this one, uh, one whole wall with all the windows in it. You know, there was like f- six windows in this thing, and all the framing is down there. And I'm with Patrick, and, and he's like, we're going to lift this thing up, and we're already up like 10 feet in the air, and we're, we're supposed to lift this whole wall. It's huge, just two of us. I mean, he's a pretty big guy. I'm not that big. But he, and he's like, we're going to lift it up. And you had to lift it up to where the two-by-fours, you know, it was really two-by-sixes, came up, and it had to be right on the edge. And I'm like, ain't no way. Ain't no. He's like, oh, we can do it. We can do it. I was like, you think you can do it? I don't think I can do it. And I'm like, we need to get some equipment or something. He's like, no, we can do it. So he just like, as the kind of the coach that he is, all right, get under here. Here, we're going to go. And I'm like, okay, okay. And, and I, got to my, I got to my limit, and I'm there, and, and he's there, and this thing is heavy. And I'm like, I felt like I gave all I could give. I'm like, I can't go no more. He's like, Jeff, you can't stop now. You got to keep going. I'm under this thing. And we, we finally got it up. And I mean, I am like, my body is trembling. I was scared to death. And I got up, I'm, I'm talking probably like maybe an hour or more later, there would be times I'd think about it and I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what did we just do? I, I, I had that trembling. But then at the same time, being able to do something that I never did before, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah, come on. Whoa, that was scary, man. Yeah. And that's part of that fear and that trembling. We, we want to reverence God for who he is. He is God. He is judge. I, I recommend you. I've been going through. I got a newer Bible, and it's a journaling Bible, and I go through and just making different notes and stuff like that. But anyhow, I'm going through this Bible, and just, just as we've been going through the names and stuff, I've just been writing down things. Everything I see that God is, you know, God is good. God is, and I'll just put it in, God is. The Lord is righteous. And just, then I, a quick glance, if I ever like feel down or anything, all I got to do is just go to who he is and just begin to recite those things to myself. And boy, it lifts you up. And one of the things it says is that God is judge and he is king. He's the one that will be judged He's going, to, he's going to be the one who judges us, and he's righteous in his judgment. He is perfect in his judgment. I want to be so close to him, and I don't want to do things that are going to keep me away from him. And sometimes those things in order, even if I have a reverence for him, those things that, that, I, that I want to be close to him, it's going to cause me to do things, to walk in places that I've never walked before, and I may even be trembling in order to be able to be close to him. You see that example in in Psalms 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who's the one leading us? God is the one leading us into places that we would never go on our own, and we get to a place where we could be trembling, but even in the midst of the tremble, but I will not fear, because I know that you're with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So he wants us to do it in that that fear and that trembling. Really, in this scripture, we're seeing that God wants you to work out what he's working in you. He wants you to work out 
in your life what he's working in, really in, in reverential trust. That's that, that fear and that, trum- that trembling. And then we kind of finish up the chapter here with the last thing. These are things that you got your responsibility. There's things that you already have. There's things that should be your aim, using the things that you have for your aim. And this is what you're responsible for. There's a stewardship, so you have to give an account of this. You give an account of your own salvation before God. You have to give an account. And it's, like, it's that working out of your salvation, but it's not in your own works. It's in his ability. It's in your trust and your reliance upon him. Amen? And then he says, here's what you need to be aware of because there are things that will try to come and take your joy away from you. There are things that will take joy even though it, it itself can't take it. It really comes in and deceives us to believe that it's taking us. But what happens is we get deceived and we stop functioning in the joy because the joy is just, I mean, it's in us, but it's more in him and he is in us and we have to draw on the one who's on the inside of us for that joy to come out. Are you with me? So what you need to be aware of, things that will still your joy and kill your witness. Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. This is a good time for the altar call. If I could have the altar team. Just kidding. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Who criticizes us the most? Ourselves. The accuser, someone said, that's true. Those who don't know us, those who are not a part of the body of Christ, they see. It's no wonder that, you know, some people, they look and see what's going on in the church. We're not trying to be a good church. That's not our goal in life. Our goal is to become like Jesus, right? We're not trying just to be, hey, you know, I talked with somebody not too long ago, you know, that they said that they were, you know, in between churches or whatever, just looking around. They said, just kind of looking for the perfect church. And I, and I told them, I said, you know what? You and I both know when you be, whatever church it is, if you're there long enough, there's going to be opportunity to disagree and to be offended and to see things that it's just not perfect because there is no perfect church. We're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But if we can do it in humility, we'll get a lot further than we are right now. Humbling ourselves. Are you with me? Do everything without complaining or arguing so that, you can, so that no one will criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But... I will rejoice. He's rejoicing again. I will rejoice even if I lose my life because he we talked about it more last week, but he's, he's in a place right now. He's in a prison and it's, poss- it's possible that it's his, it's, it's his end. It, I'll get there. It's his end, right? I mean, he could, he could die in prison and eventually he does, but he, he's here and he's telling them, listen, even if I lose my life, uh, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is doing, he's going to rejoice. He says, and I want all of you to share the same joy. 
Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share my joy with you. The joy is in the gospel. Remember, we're, we're to be partakers or really uh, are partners with the gospel. You partner with the gospel by agreeing with the message of Jesus. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's what it says in the Psalms. If you've been redeemed, you agree with what he has already done. That's why I love that new song, what he's done, what he's done. We give praise and honor and glory to him and the son. My sins are forgiven. No matter what I go through in this life, my future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. And his promises are just not in some sweet by and by. We get to partake of the promises here today as well as we're waiting for that day when he calls us back and when he comes, John says, we don't know exactly what we're going to look like, but we do know this, we'll look like him. Because when he comes, we will have fully, he would have closed us fully in who he is. And it'll be brilliant and wonderful. But in this scripture, he's talking about that, you know, uh, what you need to be aware of. We got to be very careful of complaining and arguing. This will, this will, it will steal or kill our witness with other people. It will, it will steal the joy or deceive us of the joy that's there when we're complaining. You can't, if, if you're going to stay in joy, you can't complain and be in joy at the same time. But you can be thankful and stay in joy. And thankfulness is part of that sacrifice. It's, it's a sacrifice not to complain at times. And I've seen my grandfather. He was one of the, probably the top three happiest men in my life that I've seen. And I've seen him go through things and, and whatever would happen, his, his response, sometimes he would take a little longer to respond, but he would stop, ponder for a moment and just, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and just keep, he wasn't going to complain. I never heard him complain. Never heard him complain once. Not about anybody in his church. Not about his, his, his family, never heard him complain, but I heard him praising a lot. He, he used to be a construction worker, too, and he'd be on the, of course, I wasn't there then when he did that, but he would be on the, on the job site, and he said, you know, if you're on a job site, if you ever did construction, it's, it's a pretty, it could be a tough place. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that people are going through a lot of stuff. There's a lot of language and stuff going on, and, and he used to be around that, but if they took the Lord's name in vain, he would just shout out, just as loud as they did, taken in vain, he'd go, praise the Lord. And, they, you know, people, whatever, if you take the name of the Lord in vain, praise the Lord. And finally, some guy asked him, says, well, how come we do that? And you, and you say, praise the Lord. He goes, well, you're talking about my God. And if you can curse him, I can praise him. <laughs> Amen. But we don't complain. It's not saying that you don't have, you know, you can, you can take your complaints to the Lord. That's the better thing to do whenever you're going through something you don't understand. You take it to the Lord. David talks about that a lot. Even, even some of the prophets, they go, and I'm, I'm going to bring my complaint to you. God, I just don't understand. This, this bothers me. What am I doing? I'm really just sharing and, and receiving communion and insight from Him. So in a sense, it's not complaining. Whenever, I am com- I, whenever I'm speaking it and I'm not bringing it to Him, now I'm just shooting it out there and letting the steam off. But when I bring it to him and, and there's that, you know, Lord, I'm trying to understand. I don't understand what's going on here. This really bothers me. There I'm receiving his comfort to help my heart. Are you with me? So then the very last thing, this is kind of a short thing. I'm not, we're not going to finish the whole chapter. I mean, there's just kind of his closing out of this portion. But um, he gets to a place where um, he's in prison, so he wants to send Timothy. But I think it's really interesting what he talks about Timothy. He says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit, then he can cheer me up by telling me 
how you are getting along. Because he's like, I want to know how you're doing. They didn't have Facebook back then. You know, they couldn't just pop in and be like, hey, guys, I'm here in the prison cell right now. You can see what I'm going through. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's all right. You know, no, they didn't have all that kind of stuff. So they send Timothy to be able to hear how the church is doing and coming back. And, and Paul could be encouraged when he hears the good news. But he says this in verse number 20. I have no one else like Timothy who generally cares about your welfare. Remember, we talked about the beginning of what our aim should be. One heart, one passion, one love, one purpose. I have no one like Timothy who generally cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves. Or they care more for themselves than they care for God's mission. One translation says their own interest and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son to his father. He has served with me in preaching the gospel. There's that sacrifice. So Paul's telling them all these things, all this aim and, and what you have and what we need to be aware of and what you're responsible for. And then he gives, not only is Jesus our example, he says, hey, I have no one else like Timothy. I'm, bringing, I'm, I'm sending him to you to minister to you where I can't be there in person, he can be there. He's going to minister to you, and then as he comes back, you're going to minister to me as I hear how you're doing. God just wants all of us to function in his joy. And you need to, as the Bible says, we said, you know, last week, it's in, it's in uh, you can look it up for yourselves, but it's in, in Isaiah chapter 12, I think it's verse number three. It says, with joy we draw from the wells of salvation. So, Joy is there. If Christ is on the inside of you, joy is there. And there's, there's some happiness in joy, but joy and happiness are different. Remember, happiness is, deals with circumstances, situations. A, a lot of people, you know, even in our, our government, you know, thing, you know, we have the pursuit of life and happiness. And there's a lot of people in America who are pursuing life and happiness, but are still unhappy because they need joy. Amen. And joy is found in the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ. But you have to draw. There's, there's a part. It's not your own, just all your own labor, but there is a laboring with that you're doing. And that's what the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, He's there to partner with you. There's, there's a part that takes place that He's on His end. It's almost like you see a big log. The Holy Spirit is on His end. He's holding His portion. But you have to pick up your side too. You don't have to pick up the whole thing. You just have to pick up your side. He picks up the other, and together... You're walking out what God has for you. Are you with me? Would you stand up this morning? Thank you, Jesus.